Quality sleep is essential, and that's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. So you can choose what's right for you whenever you like. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature. Quiets their snores. Sleep Number does that. Sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on Sleep Number limited edition smart beds for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. All right, remember that phrase, high crime and misdemeanors? Well, it's back, but it might not mean the same thing tonight on Laura Coates Live. You've heard this before. Members of the House are set to mark up two new articles of impeachment tomorrow. But this time, it's not for Donald Trump. It's also not for Joe Biden. Instead, they are targeting President Biden's Homeland Security Secretary, the man you see right there, Alejandro Mayorkas. And the House Republicans that are accusing him is because he's not enforcing, they say, the border laws, and he's losing the trust of the American people. You're probably wondering which is the high crime or misdemeanor in like a Law & Order episode. You probably won't find it tonight. The misdemeanor, the high crime, and you're not odd for asking the question because, of course, those are the actual constitutional standards for impeachment. Frankly, it's been more nebulous over the years, but I wonder if you feel that that would meet the criteria. Well, the top Democrat on the Homeland Security Committee says the articles don't include a shred of evidence. The DHS says... It's a farce, and legal experts say that this really just boils down to not a legal dispute, but a policy dispute. So now, what is really going on? Look, no one is arguing that what's happening at the border is somehow all roses. It is, in fact, a problem. Crisis comes to mind, and that's why Democrats and Republicans, as you know, have been working together on a bipartisan border deal that right now does not at all seem very likely to happen. Why? Not because of an incumbent, not because of the actual president or even a sitting senator or member of Congress. It's because a candidate, a presidential candidate, Donald Trump, has said, don't do it, has told Republicans to torpedo it, making senators and his happy in his party. Well, they're not too pleased about it all. This would be a very significant achievement of uh, uh, this Republican minority in the U.S. Senate of forcing the issue. So I hope no one is, is trying to uh, take this away for campaign purposes. I don't see how we have a better story to tell when we miss the one opportunity we have to fix it. And we go and say, you know, I would love to have fixed it, but it was election season, so I thought I'd wait. The question is, do you want to get something that will help us stem the tide of humanity coming across the border and drugs, or do you want to get nothing? It's a heck of a choice. Once again, it seems politics is trumping some of the solutions. The pun is, of course, intended. Let's talk about it now with the surrogate for the New York GOP and Republican strategist Joe Pinion, also CNN political commentator Jamal Simmons, a former deputy assistant to President Biden, and Tara Palmieri, who is a senior political correspondent for Puck News. I'm so glad you're all here with me tonight. First of all, begin with the substance here. Like, What are you hearing about what it actually would mean for this deal? What's in it? What's the deal? We're hearing a lot about the, in principle, I hate that phrase, but not actually the text of things. 
Where are we? Well, they haven't actually revealed the text because they don't want it to be torpedoed as they always do. They're holding it back. But what we've learned so far is that when there are surges, when there are more than 5,000 migrants crossing the border in a day, the president can unilaterally stop asylum processing. He can stop these people from effectively coming into the country. Um, And that would happen day one because we're getting way more than 5,000 migrants coming into this country a day. So essentially, as soon as this legislation is signed, Joe Biden said it will take effect and he will take it into effect. The problem is that, uh, of course, the Republicans are going to say that 5,000 is too many. We can't allow anyone to apply for asylum because these people are allowed to still apply for asylum. And in some cases, some people would be allowed to get work permits right away. They'd be able to integrate into our society, which is what you would think they would want. Um, But there is no pathway in this for dreamers. There's no pathway for the 11 million people or so that are living in this country um, illegally. But it's just, it's a step. It's a step in the direction for both parties that have been saying, well, mainly the Republicans, that they wanted this. Like, they wanted this part of the Israel-Ukraine deal. They said, we will not give aid to Ukraine or Israel without border. Hmm. Now, you've got, now you've got it, but it's not good enough. And it's like they're killing it because of Trump, essentially. Well, I mean, I mean, shock of the century. Congress not taking yes for an answer on something. It, it's, but it is shocking for some respect. I mean, first of all, the idea for Democrats, there's no pathway to citizenship. I mean, yes, Republicans and Democrats have talked about immigration and reform over the decades. And I do mean decades. Decades. But Democrats have hung their hats a lot on the idea of that pathway. It's not here. Isn't that an issue? So a lot of people on the left are concerned about this, right? So there's no pathway for dreamers, right? To right. Be protected. Um, business interests aren't going to have an expanded guest worker program. That's not going to exist. Um, so people are asking rightfully, like, okay, well, we're arguing, the Democrats are arguing with Republicans to do what Republicans have already said they want to do, right? <laughs> so where does it make sense? One, standing up against Russia and standing up against Putin uh, and Ukraine. Uh, two, helping to fund Israel. And then three, um, securing the border, including putting more border personnel, more judges, more electronic equipment down the border. All these things I think a lot of people may argue are good things to do, but Republicans want to do them, but they won't actually take the vote to get it done. Why? Well, look, I think we have to take a step back here. I think that it is a lot more complicated than simply saying President Trump or any presidential candidate is trying to take the issue off the table. I think but Joe, he wants you to blame him. He said that. Blame it on me, right? Look, I'll, I'll just say this. I think just looking at it from a substantive standpoint, what are the things that most Republicans and I would say all Americans want? What we have on the crisis uh, on the border is a crisis. It is a humanitarian crisis. It is a national security crisis. It is something that is affecting people all across this country. So people want want to have that flow of illegal immigration uh, stance. And I think on some basic level, the issue is if you're going to have this average of 5,000 number in there, we don't know that, but I mean, that's what has been suggested. Uh, then you're talking about the equivalent of another Syracuse, New York crossing the border on a recurring basis. You're talking about another Rochester, New York crossing the border on a recurring basis. Places where people are already struggling with poverty. Places where we've seen people across the political spectrum saying we cannot have our needs neglected 
elected to make sure that the needs of people who've only been here for 24 hours actually end up being first in line. So ultimately, it comes down to what is the objective? Is this going to be the broader immigration reform that people have been seeking for decades, mm -hmm. comprehensive immigration reform? Or is this a stopgap that is supposed to deal with the actual acute crisis that we have on the southern border? And Republicans will say you cannot actually have a solution to the problem that codifies the very thing that we're trying to end. Let me just say well, this. I, say this? I, I will, let me say this one thing. This is your show. You can no, 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 no. <laughs> we'll, we'll, we'll no, you can talk too. I just want to, the number zero keeps coming to mind. Yeah. Zero because, I don't know why I'm pointing to my forehead, but that's the number that's coming to mind. <laughs> zero because that's what Speaker Mike Johnson has been talking about in terms of that's the only way. The, the number has to be zero. That's completely unrealistic to think about. There, there's got to be a middle ground for what Joe is talking about, what the what Congress is talking about, and the idea of zero. Go ahead, Jamal. No, absolutely. What I was going to say is, listen, George W. Bush tried to do this in the 2000s. John McCain tried to do this when Barack Obama was president. And both of them were scuttled by the same right-wing forces that didn't want to do a deal that was going to actually have any kind of compassion to it. So the problem, the problem that I have here is that they just don't want to deal because they'd rather have the politics than have the solution. Well, I'll just say this. I, I think that we have to be honest about the fact that it's an election year, that both sides like to play politics with issues that obviously no one should play politics with. Right. So I mean, we, Democrats, yeah. too, see that this is a popular issue for them now. Right. It wasn't before. It wasn't Even before. Joe Biden is taking a risk. You mean meaning that they want to now obviously try to solve the problem and the Republicans, a la Trump, is saying, I don't want this done during an election year because it might benefit the Bidens? No, I mean, because Repu uh, Democrats have figured out that, well, at least at the White House, that this is actually an issue that Bob there's Democrats and Republican voters, so they know that this is going to be an issue in 2024 for Biden. So it's a, it would be a win for Biden to fix this issue. And that's a big, you know, for a while, the Democrats didn't want to go anywhere near this because they didn't want to alienate the progressive base. And now they're willing to do it because they want to win over those swing voters in the seven battleground states that matter in this election. So everybody's a yes, except Donald Trump. Therefore, we're not going to do it. I don't think everyone is a yes. I mean, they're both playing <laughs> electoral politics. Well, what I'm let saying. me ask you about this, I mean, and I want you to get into this, Joe, as well. The politics of impeachment. Mm -hmm. Mallorca, we're talking about a border crisis. We all seem to be on the same page in terms of acknowledging that there, in fact, is this issue that needs to be addressed, how you do it, very different mechanisms for doing so, and the when and how. But Mallorca is being served up as a kind of a scapegoat, some would say, as a reason for why they want to solve the problem by saying it's you. Others say he's not a scapegoat at all. He is the problem, which I'm unsure how, whether it's out a, a high crime or misdemeanor articulated, Breach of trust? Is that enough to satisfy a way to get at this very problem? Uh, look, I, I think that it's, it's going to be very difficult to satisfy the high crimes and misdemeanor portion of this impeachment, which yeah. means the impeachment in its entirety becomes very difficult. I do not think that the conversation in and of itself is inconsequential. And so when you're looking at people on the south side of Chicago talking about how the migrant crisis is impacting them, when you're looking at people here in New York, Brooklyn, New York, talking about how it's affecting them, when you actually hear the pain and suffering of everyday people here in New York, 80, uh, you talk to say $80 billion behind in repairs for public housing, and meanwhile, we're spending, again, into a deficit at the state level and at the city level, trying to deal with a migrant crisis that many of our leaders, from Chuck Schumer uh, to our governor, told us was a Republican talking point. I think it comes down to, to your point, Democrats finally realizing, oh my goodness, uh, we can't 
actually afford to ignore this issue anymore. So I think that's how you end up with an impeachment. That's how you end up with Mallorca's being caught in the crosshairs. But to your mm. original point, I do not believe that ultimately the actual pillars of what are actually mm. detailed as high crimes and misdemeanors are actually able to be met. He's right. You have, you know, Hakeem Jeffries, Eric Adams, Kathy Hochul, these leaders in the Democratic Party every single day going out there saying, President Biden, you need to do something about migration. We are being flooded in our cities. You have J.B. Pritzker. You have, you know, all over Democratic cities. And, and you don't want to alienate Democratic voters in this election year. And I think both sides are playing politics. But at the end of the day, it's also a test of the grip that Trump has on the party because this would be a pretty consequential piece of election, uh, legislation for both sides. I mean, we've uh, seen... Go ahead, Jamal. Okay, politics is politics. But remember, this is the president who put in place what he called a Muslim ban, who wanted to stop people coming from S-hole countries to the United States, and who has said during the course of his campaign, he wants to reinstate his immigration policies. There are some people who are acting in good faith here. A lot of the mayors, some of the governors, Senator Lankford, who are trying to actually solve the problem. And then you've got Donald Trump and Stephen Miller and the right-wing gang over there in Magaland who actually really don't even want more legal immigration to this well, country. Like, I mean, something tells me that the between the behind the scenes when the camera cuts to commercial, it's going to be heated <laughs> on this panel. <laughs> if only there was a camera still on us. Joe, Jamal, Tara, thank you yeah. so much. Look, President yeah. Biden is under pressure for a lot of reasons tonight, some of which we've talked about for immigration. Others because of his um, need to respond, they believe, to the drone attack in Jordan that killed three U.S. service members. But how will it all play back home? And especially with younger voters who are already very much fed up with a lot of the foreign policy efforts. We'll talk about their perspective next. This podcast is supported by Sleep Number. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number smart bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs, so you can choose what's right for each of you whenever you like. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature. Quiets their snores? Sleep Number does that. Only Sleep Number smart beds let you each choose your ideal comfort and support. Your Sleep Number setting. Sleep Number smart beds learn how you sleep and provide personalized insights to help you sleep better. All Sleep Number smart beds feature cooling, pressure-relieving comfort layers for soothing sleep throughout the night. Temperature-balancing bedding is designed to move heat and moisture away when you're hot. When you're cool, they hold their energy to help warm you. Sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on Sleep Number limited edition smart beds for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. I'm Dr. Sanjay Gupta, CNN's chief medical correspondent. This week on Chasing Life... Lately, we have been paying attention to a very different virus, bird flu, which is caused by the H5N1 virus. If you start to hear that it's circulating in pigs, that would be a concern. That means I would go from sleeping with one eye open to one and a half eyes open. Yeah, that would make me very concerned. Listen to Chasing Life wherever you get your podcasts. Tonight, top White House officials say they do not want to go to war with Iran, but they are promising a very serious response after a weekend drone attack at a U.S. military outpost in Jordan killed three U.S. Army soldiers and wounded more than 40 others. Now, this comes at a precarious time for President Biden with two international conflicts and potentially a third one looming 
Now, young voters are especially concerned about what's happening overseas and, frankly, about U.S. foreign policy decisions. I mean, check out this Quinnipiac University poll. 70 percent. Look at this number. 70 percent of 18 to 34-year-olds disapprove of the way that Biden is handling foreign policy. I won't make you do math right now, but 16 percent approve. Not quite 100 percent yet. Right. But still 16 percent versus 70. Let's talk about now with Time Magazine senior correspondent Charlotte Alter, who's author of The Ones We've Been Waiting For, How a New Generation of Leaders Will Transform America. Charlotte, thank you so much for being here. I mean, I have been seeing every time Biden is speaking, even Vice President Harris as well, there are protesters that are present. They are talking about a number of issues, including, of course, Gaza, Ukraine and beyond. I wonder when you look at this, what are you hearing from young voters about how they're feeling about our foreign policy involvement in these wars in general? So one of the things that I'm hearing from young voters and activists and organizers that I'm talking to is that the situation in Gaza was in many ways the straw that broke the camel's back for Biden standing with young people. I think young people have been getting increasingly disappointed and increasingly disillusioned about the Biden administration, particularly around something called the Willow Project, which not that many people necessarily know about, but it's a it's a drilling project on federal land in Alaska that the Biden administration approved after promising to young voters in the 2020 election that he would ban all drilling on federal land. So there was already a lot of disillusionment, already a lot of disappointment. And then I think what what happened in God, what's been happening in Gaza has really been kind of the tipping point for that disillusion to turn into outrage. And what is it specifically about the outrage? Is it steeped in an issue around peace more broadly? Is it about the prioritization of certain areas over others? Is it about the alliances? Is it pinpointed to a particular aspect of why the protest? You know, that's that, that's a great question. I, I think that a lot for a lot of younger voters and a lot of younger Americans, they see this as a systemic injustice issue. They see it as connected to many of the other issues of systemic injustice that we've seen the younger generations protest over in the United States, like racial injustice. Um, so they see they see these these injustices as connected to each other. Um and so I also think, you know, the, the older cohort of this generation, so millennials, um, have a deep skepticism about American interference abroad. I mean, the, this is the generation that grew up in the shadows of the wars in Iraq and Afghanistan. Yeah. Um, and so they, they're, they're deeply skeptical about sort of what happens when America becomes too entangled in overseas conflicts. You know, you wonder, especially with that, whether it means that there is a solution, there's an end point, or there's some kind of you know, protracted involvement that does not result in a tangible, you know, um, result in the end. I wonder about that all the time. I, also, Vice President Kamala Harris, she actually was in California today to talk about reproductive rights, part of what their new campaign has been about. Listen to this one when she's interrupted by pro-Palestinian um, protesters. Listen to this. You know, I will tell you... Now, of course, as you can imagine, they have been 
hanging a lot of their hopes on trying to galvanize voters to the reproductive rights and the post-Dobbs world. But nearly every event focused on this has incorporated these protesters on this issue. Is this a signal to the Biden campaign or the administration more broadly that they have to divide their attention among the two areas because this latter one is what is really at stake? I think it's a signal to the Biden campaign that they have to really start taking young voters, voters under 30 in particular, more seriously, particularly because with these cohorts of voters, the people, the voters under 30 who voted for Biden in 2020, who really put him over the top in these key states in Michigan, Arizona, in Pennsylvania, in Georgia, I mean, young voters really helped, along with many other parts of Biden's base, really powered his victory. But as the years go by, those voters who were you know, 28 in 2000, in 2020 are 32 in 2024. So it's not the same people who voted for him in 2020, who he now needs to win over in 2024. And that means that he needs a new playbook. He needs to have, he needs to give these voters something to vote for, not something to vote against. Mm -hmm. And, you know, the more I talk to these younger voters and younger organizers, the threat of a Trump presidency, you know, they, they're deeply concerned about it, but it doesn't seem to be enough to motivate them. They are so upset about what's happening in Gaza that they almost don't want to hear about Trump. So I think this playbook of, of making the election all about Trump again, I think it's going to work with some parts of Biden's base, but I'm not sure it's going to be enough to win over this cohort. So what's the or else? Or else vote for Trump or else stay home? I think it's or else stay home. I mean, I, there are some recent polls at the end of last year that showed Trump leading with some young people. I would like to see more data on that before I believe that this cohort that has really been leaning left for the last 10 years is suddenly going to switch to MAGA. Um, I think it's more likely that they stay home. Wow. Well, that would be something to think about if that's the case. That would have to rewrite the entire playbook, though, as you speak about this issue. Charlotte Alter, thank you so much for being here tonight. E. Jean Carroll speaking to CNN after winning her defamation case against Trump. She says that Trump is using her to win votes. Well, E. Jean Carroll is speaking out on the heels of that massive, and I do mean massive, $83 million in damages awarded to her in defamation cases against Donald Trump, telling CNN that she believes the former president is trying to now use her and her victory in court. Why? To drum up votes for him. The courtroom was not a courtroom to him. It was a campaign stop. That was clear. Um, so we had two different objectives. Ours was to win a case. His was to win voters. A man found liable for sexual assault is using the woman he sexually assaulted to get votes. Joining me now, CNN legal analyst and former federal prosecutor Jennifer Rogers, also here, CNN contributor Leah Wright-Ruger. I'm so glad that you guys are both here with me today. First of all, Leah, let me begin with you. Because she says that Trump is using her to win votes. And I'm often wondering, will her speaking out, if that is his plan, does that help or hurt his campaign more broadly? So right now, E. Jean Carroll and the entire case surrounding E. Jean Carroll and Donald Trump, including the payout, this massive historic payout uh, in, in this defamation and libel suit, 
um, is absolutely helping Donald Trump. But I want to offer a caveat with that. It's helping because it's part of this larger victim narrative. He says the courts are corrupt. Look at this massive payout. Of course, he's calling into question, as is, is very much Donald Trump, calling into question uh, E. Jean Carroll as a person, right? So all of these, he says, this is an attack on us. This is a reflection of a system that is rigged. So certainly that is helping generate kind of, uh, I think, a kind of energy amongst his core base. At the same time, though, and this is the caveat, at the same time, it is also deeply hurting his campaign and the larger institution of the Republican Party. And let me tell you why. Because it's not just this case. It's not just this defamation case. It's also these other cases where Trump has going to have to pay out millions in damages. E. Jean Carroll has also said that she is willing to sue him again if necessary. And so ultimately, it's about a financial cost to Donald Trump and the Republican Party. So it's kind of a trade-off. It's good for his campaign as an individual. It's terrible for the party, and it's certainly terrible for the country. You know, she makes a good point, especially on, on what is to come, because this is just one of the cases. 83 million is one of them. You know, there's also the New York civil fraud trial, where he stands to possibly have his business, his political currency, as being this real estate mogul and how he's used that in his campaigns to be reduced. And they're seeking over $370 million. I mean, I'm not a mathematician, but that's a whole lot of dollars. And if that's part of what's ahead of them, I mean, that could be truly unprecedented. Yeah. And, you know, listen, then there are the criminal trials, too. Right. right. And part of me thinks, you know, I'm not a political analyst, but part of me thinks this is all his desperate bid to stay out of prison. Right. He has to be reelected to the White House in order to stay out of prison. There are four criminal cases coming. He's going to be convicted in at least one of them. If they go forward because he's not elected, he's going to face a jury in all of those cases and, and I think be convicted in multiple of them. So this to me is kind of all eggs in the basket of do whatever I can to get myself reelected because if I don't, jail's coming. You know, interestingly enough, you know, after last May when he had the first verdict, I want to remind you of this. He spoke pretty quickly about E. Jean Carroll. Listen to this. I have no idea who this woman, this is a fake story made up story. And I swear, and I've never done that. And I swear to, I have no idea who the hell, she's a Mr. whack President. job. That was, of course, a day after the verdict at our Santa Ana Town Hall, uh, moderated by Caitlin Collins. Now we haven't heard anything. I mean, it's like crickets with him. Message received? Message not received. Mm. Because one of the things that we know about Donald Trump is that he hates to be silenced, but he also has a relatively good team of lawyers surrounding him this time around. And I'm not just talking about the lawyers in the E. Jean Carroll case. I'm talking about some of these lawyers in the criminal cases and the other charges that he's facing. Somebody is undoubtedly telling him to be quiet. And that is the smartest strategy that he could have right now. Um, not just because, you know, he just faced this million-dollar lawsuit that he's going to have to, you know, ultimately pay out. But also because Eugene Carroll has said, I will sue you again. You words can be used against you. He can be caught in a lie. There are innumerable things that could happen. But what we also have seen is that at the same time, either Donald Trump or whoever is monitoring who is working his social media channels, Truth Social, Twitter, that kind of X, that kind of thing, is, has also been, I think, 
tweeting out and sending out lots of disinformation around E. Jean Carroll. We've also seen some of these, I think, harder right-wing media sources do the dirty work of Donald Trump. So while Trump is not out there kind of speaking from his platform, we see that there are various media uh, vehicles that are asking these questions about who is E. Jean Carroll? Does he really know her? Is this part of a larger rig system? In order, uh, I think, to push back um, on this larger narrative and really undermine E. E. Jean Carroll's entire uh, approach. I will say this, though. It's not working in the broader public. And Eugene Carroll has been very clear about this, particularly in going on this campaign and saying, what is this about? Right? This is about accountability and is about controlling a narrative. So even as Trump is silent at the, at the hands and the advice of his lawyers, um, e. Jean Carroll is not. And she is using this as an opportunity, I think, to fight back. You know, it's fascinating to think about, Jennifer, the idea of automating one's message, like having to keep getting keep your hands clean from here on out, because you've done the foundation, you laid the groundwork. Now your sort of minions can do everything else for you. I'm really curious, though, as to why we have not heard from the courts on the other cases, the circuit court on the immunity issue in particular. The Supreme Court's going to have oral arguments coming up. In fact, um, Justice Sotomayor was speaking today about her frustrations on the court. More broadly, listen to this. Change happens because people care about moving the arc of the universe towards justice. And it can take time. And it can take frustration. I live in frustration. Um, And as you heard, every loss truly traumatizes me in my stomach and in my heart. Um, But I have to get up the next morning and keep on fighting. I don't know if she's foreshadowing something deeper about what's happening in deliberations behind closed doors, but it does speak to, I think, impatience and frustration is how people feel about the courts on issues like this. Like we don't yet have in the broader judiciary answers to questions like, does the president have absolute immunity? Can he be on a ballot? What's the deal? Yeah, that doesn't make me very, uh, it doesn't make you very confident for yeah. uh, what's going to happen the rest of this term. Um, those are big questions. I mean, those things are coming, right? We have, I, I'm surprised the D.C. Circuit has taken as long as it me has. Too. I mean, they're obviously writing a comprehensive opinion about this. Maybe there's a dissent, you know, I don't know. Um, we have the February 8th argument coming up um, on the ballot question. And I think the Supreme Court will decide that quickly um, because, primaries are going on. You know, people need to know whether he's going to be on the ballot. But court cases do take time. And that's why when it finally does happen, like when the E. Jean Carroll verdict finally comes in and they say, listen, there was a really interesting point that both E. Jean Carroll and her lawyers made, which is that, you know, he's this fearsome figure, Trump, right? Mm -hmm. He's a bully. He says anything he wants. He has this power, these followers, they'll do anything he says. When you get within the four walls of the courtroom, where rules govern, where he can be controlled, where you can't just lie, where you, you know, the the truth governs, right? It's different. You know, he's just a man. He's just a man. I mean, his uh, lawyer, E. Jean Carroll's lawyer, Sean Crowley, just came, he's just a guy, (laughs) you know? He's not this all-powerful figure. And so it does take time. It takes time to get him into the courtroom. And that's what we're seeing. It's taking time to get these cases well underway. It will be more time before we're at trial. But when we are, and when the truth is paramount, Mm. and the rules of evidence govern, and you have a judge who can control the proceedings, he's just a man facing the law. And it'll be different. Well... To quote Notting Hill, one day he'll be a 
boy in front of a court asking them not to throw the book at him. Jennifer Rogers, Leah Reitrigger, thank you so much. Hashtag Julia Roberts. Next, never before seen video made public in the trial of Ethan Crumbly's mom. It shows that Crumbly's parents were seeing their son hours after he carried out that horrific school shooting. We'll walk through exactly what happened in court. The Assignment with me, Audie Cornish. So there have been arrests, suspensions, disciplinary hearings. They're shutting down graduation events. At this moment, the part of the protest that are admirable are young people calling attention to atrocities. Michael Roth is the president of Wesleyan University. I would like to make a space for them to do that, as long as that space doesn't prevent other people from pursuing their education. Listen to The Assignment with me, Audie Cornish, on your favorite podcast app. All right, there's a flood of legal news today, starting with the judge denying Alex Murdoch's request for a brand new trial. And that denial came after a juror says that they were swayed by comments from a courtroom clerk. Murdoch was convicted last year of killing his wife and his son. And then there's a trial for Jennifer Crumbly, the mother of Ethan Crumbly. Now, he is serving now life in prison without parole, excuse me, for killing four students in a Michigan school shooting back in 2021. And now his parents are the first in the nation to go on trial for what could be charges against them to hold him responsible for their son's school shooting. So who is the best to talk about all this with? Joey Jackson, of course, is here, CNN legal analyst and defense attorney extraordinaire. Joey, uh, first of all, this Murdoch trial, because you and I talked a lot about that trial in South Carolina. The fact that a juror says that they were swayed by a court clerk who was influencing that person in a way that was not expected, that shall we say, that was not enough to get a new trial. Did that surprise you? So it didn't, and here's why. Great to see you in person. So listen, Laura, the reality is, is that you are entitled to a fair trial, not a perfect trial. That's one distinction to make. The second thing is, is that remember, there was an evidentiary hearing in which the judge evaluated the testimony of all 12 jurors. Now, I know it takes all 12, beyond a reasonable doubt, 11 said Absolutely not. Had no influence, right? This clerk had no influence. The other said the clerk did have an influence. However, that the other jurors had more of an influence with respect to why she voted to guilt, right? So at the end of the day, you have a six-week trial, three-hour jury deliberation, and overwhelming evidence, which, which suggests, as you and I both know, harmless error. At the end of the day, yes, there was a miscue by this clerk, but it did not and it was not outcome determinative to the issue of guilt. The judge saying it was so overwhelming, it would not have mattered. This is not the last of it. It'll be appealed to the Court of Appeals and then to the Supreme Court and then maybe federal court. But I think this Mm. was the right call. Interesting thinking about that because it's the cost-benefit analysis, right? One, it was more influential than the other. But let's talk about the Ethan Crumbly's mother trial, Jennifer Crumbly. This is, again, the first time this country has grappled with a parent being charged for the actions of their child, um, a minor at the time who committed this horrific act. We've got some new footage, and it was never before seen footage, Joey, of Jennifer and James Crumbly, the parents of Ethan Crumbly, seeing their son at the police station right after the shooting. Look at this. Why? I love you. 
Now you look at this and they're asserting that she is crying. Um, someone's saying, I love you. And she's asking the question, why? How does this play into her defense? So one piece of evidence, which would suggest that she's, what do you mean? Why, why, why? Very surprised. Remember, three things are really important here, Laura, okay? Mm -hmm. Number one, foreseeability. Is it foreseeable that your son would behave in this way under circumstances where he has mental health maladies, you're not paying attention, perhaps you should. So the foreseeability question is big. The second question is the notice question. Were the parents on notice as to the ailments and maladies of the child? And number three, did they act reasonably? Well, if they didn't really know and they were really surprised at this, then how could you suggest if they would have went in and said, okay, yeah, probably something he would have done, it would have certainly had a different effect, but their goal was to show they didn't know the extent and severity of the child's really mental health condition, and that inures to their benefit. The most important thing, when she hits this testimony in the stand, that's gonna be really for all the marbles. Riveting, without question, her testimony as to what she knew and when she knew it, if anything, overwhelmingly significant. Can't wait for that to happen. Again, I'm looking at the fact that they're tried separately. The one who's being tried first, will she point the finger at her husband and who knew what? Joey Jackson. You know that's happening. That, well, you know that's happening, yes. but we'll see it happen. I'm sure it'll be, um, well, we'll cover it here. Joey Jackson, thank you so much. I appreciate it. Thanks, Up next, Super Bowl is now set, and there are new conspiracy theories that are already flowing around, but it may not be about what you'd expect. How Taylor Swift got dragged into all of it. Next. Kansas City Chiefs heading to their fourth Super Bowl now in just five years. We'll take on the 49ers in a Las Vegas 2020 Super Bowl rematch this time around. Of course, Taylor Swift, she, of course, has to be mentioned here. She was in the bleachers last night. Well, not really the bleachers. She was really in, wasn't she like in a, in a box of some type? And on the field for the post-game celebrations. And some say they have some... Bad blood had to do it with the NFL over the attention that she is getting. And there are a lot of conspiracy theories now, including one from Vivek Ramaswamy, who is trying to bring the election into all this. Get this. He claims that the entire thing is now rigged to give her more airtime ahead of an eventual Joe Biden endorsement in the fall. <laughs> Joining me now, people who are laughing already in the background, <laughs> contributor Kerry Champion and also comedian Pete Dominic. Okay, first of all, I could just say Taylor Swift, go. But let's talk about for a moment <laughs> the fact that there is a conspiracy theory. The entire thing is rigged to yeah. try to get an endorsement. We shouldn't talk about it. It's so ridiculous that anybody believes any of this nonsense. And where, where was the rigging when they were losing games on the way to the Super Bowl? The idea that an NFL game, I'll leave it up to Carrie, but could be rigged? Mm -hmm. How? How would you do that? Who is in on it? And the fact that it would be somehow tied to a political campaign? Mm -hmm. it's, it's very hard to believe that people come up with these ideas and think that people will believe them, but there you go. But it's Vivek, but he's Vivek is a supplicant. Yeah, he's trying to get some sort of headline. He's grabbing something from this. It's the conversation to be had, even if you want to talk about a script or a conspiracy theory, is and people forgive me, but it's time to say that Patrick Mahomes is the equivalent of a goat 
as is Tom Brady. How mm. dare you? I, I am sorry. On, we're on TV. We're on the T. This is America. We're on the T and the V, and I'm ready to say it. Here yeah. he is in his late 20s. He is going to his fifth, fifth, count him, fifth Super Bowl. Tom Brady has seven rings. Now, I'm not going to, I I don't know how many rings, in fact, mm-hmm. Patrick will have, but that's the conversation I have. Hard earned. And nobody would have probably said a couple of weeks ago, as you pointed out when they were losing, that there was a script to be written here. Now, to the Taylor point of it all. Well, well that, that's the of point of it all for so many people. That's why it's they're all winning. about Taylor. I, I have to be honest, and, and I want the Swifties to give me some grace here. I, 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 I honestly, truly don't understand why the NFL is acting as if it's never happened in the history of sport. Oh, guess what? An actress, a singer, dates a quarterback or a famous athlete? Ooh, Has that ever? Lemma, Sierra, mm. Russell Wilson, uh, namely married. Oh, wait, let me tell Victoria Beckham and David. Mm. Oh, okay. Uh, Tony Romo and Jessica Simpson. Giselle Bundchen. Uh, Giselle. Tom Let's Brady, what do you mean? Disrespect- well, Giselle can't sing. Yeah, so there you oh, go. Okay, but she's well, just know. as famous. My yeah. point is, it happens, and and I understand that she 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 registers eight to eighty. She she hits. But I gotta I gotta tell you that the true fans are, we've had enough, and let her enjoy the game. I think partially it's different because it's Taylor Swift, and she's your daughter a, loves her. My daughters have never watched football. But you they started that. coming in the room. Sure. They're watching sure. it. She's bringing us sure. together. Sure. She's bringing America together. I, 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 People I are watching football that didn't watch football before. I agree with you. I love the idea that we them. have another group of younger women watching football. But to say that, and I'm hearing all these theories that women weren't watching football. Yeah. I was in Philadelphia just last week. Tell, tell that to the ladies sitting at the bar next to me who were so upset about the fact that Taylor is the only person they show. Also upset that the Eagles who? didn't make the- it. That's neither here nor there. But uh, women have been watching sports before yeah. Taylor Swift came For sure, alive. but two things can be true. You could have, women have been watching sports and especially football. Uh-huh. Who do you like? But, you have a team? Usher. Oh, that's but, it. <laughs> I was so much football. Usher, Usher. But, Laura, Laura's here as many people are for that concert in between this little football game. Right. So you're but, ready for Usher. Oh, but let me just tell you, I swear, if during Usher's performance or in the halftime, yeah. I'm going to lose it. It cuts repeatedly I'm going to anyone to but Usher. I'm going to lose it. I'm going to call you Pete Dominic. It, it and I'm gonna have a fit. That's, going well, that's not it. going to happen. They're not How going do to do that. that. How do, who have you talked to there? I have talked to all the higher ups. <laughs> and I, I said, please don't cut away from Usher to Taylor Swift because that's not going to be good for anybody. The bottom line is it's mostly unifying. It's a wonderful thing. Yeah. This whole season, this whole Taylor Swift, Travis Kelsey thing has been fun. And the fact that it's irking a lot of football fans or Trump fans or or men is beautiful. Deal with it. It's just fun and funny and great and it's love and love should win and I think it's authentic and I Do you think love should win? Is that a controversial thing? That is so yes. controversial. I think this I think this Travis I'm Kelsey I'm 49ers or are you asking for the Chiefs to win? Not about love. Well, Who wins? The Lions. <laughs> On that note, he now is the anti-hero. There we go. For all of you Swifties, you'll know what I'm talking about. Terry Champion, Pete Dominic, thank you both so much. And thank you all for watching. I'll be live on Instagram at TheLauraCoach in a few minutes. Be sure to tune in. Our coverage continues. Quality sleep is essential. And that's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. So you can choose what's right for you whenever you like. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature. Quiets their snores. Sleep Number does that. Sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on Sleep Number limited edition smart beds for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com.
Now streaming exclusively on Max, a new CNN flash talk about the album that has Nashville talking, Call Me Country, Beyonce and Nashville's Renaissance. Watch it at max.com slash callmecountry. Max subscription required.